Good morning. It's always a blessing to be with you. I know that a lot of people are traveling and under the weather, and so these kinds of moments of worship and, and gathering together are just wonderful blessings. I know not just for me, but for so many of us. Uh, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this family of faith, and we thank you for uh, this time of year uh, where we are still thinking about newness and a chance to, to have a different kind of year than, than possibly last year. I know that some of us uh, probably really struggled through last year, uh, and so we are looking forward to turning over a new leaf and for things to be different. And so I just pray this morning that as we focus again on what it means to be your people, uh, what it means to be your disciples, your followers, that you will give us a new sense of urgency, uh, that you will give us a new sense of commitment to what it means to be your, your family and to be your people who are caught up in your mission for this world. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, there are words that are simple to understand, but very easy to do. It doesn't matter how many times somebody says to me to just loosen up and take the putt. I can't do that because I'm not good at golf, and I know it. It doesn't matter how many times somebody says just relax. It's, it's not a big deal. You really can back up this long trailer down a narrow street. I can't. I've tried. It was one of the scariest things I've ever done. It, it doesn't matter how many times Lauren says to me, would you stop pacing and just calm down? They're ahead when I'm watching Giants baseball because I know they, they squander any size lead. I'm not talking about the Rangers here. I'm not saying that. I'm talking about the Giants. I can't calm down. It's just, it doesn't matter how many times I try. It doesn't work. This morning, we are going to be reading words from Jesus that from a grammar standpoint are easy for us to read and understand and define. And yet as we read them, as we listen to these words of Jesus, if you're anything like me, you're going to tense up. You're going to get a little worried because you're probably not very good at what Jesus is going to tell us we need to do. Open up to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be starting in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you that you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. If people slap you on your right cheek, you must turn the left cheek to them as well. When they wish to haul you to court and take your shirt, let them have your coat too. When they force you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to those who ask and don't refuse those who wish to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you, so that you will be acting as children of your Father who is in heaven. He makes the sun rise on both the evil and the good and sends rain on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, just as your heavenly Father, now in some translations this is translated, just as your heavenly Father is perfect, be perfect. 
But in context, you've got to ask, what does perfect mean? And it means, therefore, just as your heavenly Father is complete in showing love to everyone, not just the people that are easy to like, so also you must be complete in showing your love to everyone. So we've heard these words before if we go to church for really any length of time. They're all relatively simple words for us to listen to and think about and understand. You have heard that it was said that a measured amount of revenge is okay. But I say to you, don't even start resenting or resisting somebody else. You've heard that it was said that as long as you love your neighbor, you're allowed to hate your enemies. But I say to you, no, you have to love everyone, especially your enemies. Simple, direct, anything but easy. I mean, just take that phrase, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you, harass you, attack you. Now, when you say that in a general way, it's challenging. But it's not quite as uncomfortable as I think Jesus wants those words to be. You know, love your enemies and pray for those who attack you. Let's, let's get specific in some ways that make us uncomfortable. Love those who voted for the other candidate. And pray for those who attack you because of who you voted for. Love those who belong and are committed to a different faith. Pray for those who attack you because of your faith. Love those who don't look like you or think like you or talk like you or act like you and don't see the world the way you do. Pray for those who attack. Pray for those who work actively against what it is you're trying to accomplish in this world. Now, see, that starts to get uncomfortable. And that's right about the place I think Jesus wants us to have to go. To wrestle. To think of names. To think of faces. To think of things, specific things, that have happened to you or to somebody you care about. And to start to ask yourself, what would it mean for you to decide in the face of misunderstanding and pain and fear and threat, what would it look like for you to actively love them and pray for them, not just, not just praying for God to take their lives and send them straight to hell. Because I've heard people pray like that for their enemies. I don't think that's what Jesus means here. I think he means praying for their good. Praying for God to be redemptively at work in their lives. To turn them into somebody that, that God has always wanted for them to be. Not necessarily for God to turn them into exactly who we want them to be. This stuff is so difficult and it's so uncomfortable that I'm afraid if we are brutally honest, for the most part, we treat this section of the Sermon on the Mount as entirely optional. We do this when we read the Bible, you know. We don't want to admit it. We take the parts we like 
and we tend to gloss over the parts that don't make much sense to us. And when Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who attack you, who harass you, who hurt you, I think we decide that Jesus has got caught up in his own words and he's trying to be poetic and he's He's slipped into some sort of description of a utopia that is never going to accurately describe the world we live in. And therefore, this part of the Sermon on the Mount is something that while it might be beautiful, while it might be something that seems good and true, we end up deciding, at least in the privacy of our own hearts, that it is simply too beautiful and too good to be true. And we simply decide that we're going to live a different way. I mean, I I think we are so hardwired to look out for ourselves and to take what we can take and to spend time with the people that we already relate to and understand and want to be around that when it comes down to this piece of being transformed and changed from who we are into who God longs for us to be, we just decide we're not going there. But we come here, and that gives me great hope. Because we are here knowing that the example that Jesus calls us towards, the the, the kind of life that Jesus lives out for us, not just so that we don't have to, but to show us how to, we come here because we believe that even though following in the footsteps of Jesus just might be the most difficult thing that you and I will ever try to do, it's still worth trying with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We know it's difficult. We know it's hard. We know it's anything but easy, and yet we're here because we hope that somehow God will empower us, not just for Jesus to describe the kinds of people who love their enemies and pray for those who hurt us or attack us or harass us, but we will actually be changed into those people because of God's love for us, God's mercy, God's grace that is not just, not just at work on our behalf, but at work within us. One of the challenges I think that we have when it comes to living this part of the good life out, to listening to Jesus, to taking him seriously, that he actually means what he says here, is for the most part, you and I tend to live at or very close to the top of society. Which means that you and I have, for the most part, the social and the financial resources that it takes to get even, to strike back to demand justice. And so when Jesus starts to talk about loving our enemies and praying for those who have hurt us, who attack us, who harass us, it starts to feel like those words are a constricting rope that has our hands tied behind our back because you and I, for the most part, want to and we are able to come out swinging. And and we really want to. And so when Jesus says, look, that's, that's not the way to have this good life that you were created to experience. It's, it's not the way for, for anybody in your life to experience that good life through you. We feel like we're being held back and we don't like it. 
Now, when Jesus is first speaking these words, when he's first preaching the Sermon on the Mount, he is, for the most part, speaking to people who don't have the social and the financial resources it takes to strike back and get even and change things. He is, for the most part, talking to people who are at the bottom of society, people who, who if they had tried to use violence to change things in their world, they would have been fighting against, resisting, trying to have a revolution against the, the people in their world who had all the resources, who had all the ability to not only stop that kind of behavior, but to punish them for even thinking that way. When they hear Jesus' words, I think they hear something different than being held back. I think what they hear is a way forward where when they don't have the power to force things to change, Jesus says to them, they have the power to create change. Right? They can't hold a gun to anybody's head and say, I want things to be fair right now. They can't force it, but Jesus says, that doesn't mean all of the options are closed to you. You, you have a choice of how to move through this unjust and, 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 and just unfair world that you're struggling to figure out where your place is in all this and you're, you're just about ready to give up on anything ever being the way it should be. Right? That things will always stay broken just the way they are. Jesus says, no, 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 you have another option. You can create change. You create change by transforming what people believe is possible when it comes to reacting to those who hurt you and harass you, and attack you. The world has a script for what's supposed to happen. You go and you get whatever you need to get to fight back. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Now, you've heard preachers talk about this before. That was originally given in the law, not as permission to attack somebody. It was actually given in order to limit revenge. Right? Because if you take my eye, I'm taking both of yours. If I have a shot. If you knock out my tooth, you're going home with dentures. Right? That, that, that if, if just left to our own devices, if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back twice as hard. Now, what my hope is, is that if I hit you back twice as hard, I'll scare you enough and I'll threaten you enough and I'll back you into a corner enough, it'll stop. That's the promise of the script the world gives us. But what actually happens if you hit somebody back? Well, they're just going to keep trying to get even. Or at least that's the rhetoric we're going to use. What they're really going to do is try to completely and utterly destroy you so that they don't have to be afraid or threatened or feel cornered anymore. In that kind of world where that's exactly what happens when violence gets gets to the place where we're actually treating each other that way, there's only one unexpected way out. And that is that when somebody starts to try to pick a fight, when somebody attacks us, when somebody harasses us, when somebody is ugly to us, the only way to actually change the script is to be a person of peace who refuses to fight back. It's the only thing that works. Now, I know 
I know we listen to that and we think, yeah, but, but the risk couldn't be higher. If, if I don't fight back, if I don't try to get even, if I don't stand up for myself, I, we're just going to be a bunch of pushovers that get run over. And we think Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. Except for the fact that the way that Jesus dealt with violence in his life was not to fight it, it was to bear it. To suffer it. And what happens when Jesus chooses to suffer violence instead of fight back with violence? What's the result for all of us because Jesus chooses to let it happen? We're saved because of it. And we're not just saved because Jesus does it once. We're also saved in new ways, in unexpected ways. The world is saved in new and unexpected ways every time one of Jesus' followers actually does the same thing. You hear that and you think, that's great. You do that, Jared. I'll live out a different part of the Sermon on the Mount. Right? We want somebody else to be the peacemaker. We want somebody else to respond to violence by suffering it, by going through it. But Jesus isn't talking to some of us here. Jesus is talking to every single one of us. So how do you, how do, you do this? Part of it is trying to imagine what the world would actually be like, how things would really change if we would decide right here, right now, from this moment on, we were going to be good and kind to everyone no matter what. That our behavior towards others is never dictated on their prior behavior or even their response to our behavior. But that our, our treatment of others, our interactions with others is predicated on how good and kind and gentle God has been to us. That everything we do is a response to God, not to somebody else. Can you imagine what the world would be like if we decided we were going to be kind and gentle and good to everybody, no matter what? That we were going to struggle with the journey of forgiving everybody, no matter what? You cannot create lasting change in the world through the threat of force. You can't create lasting change that way. You can only create lasting change by inspiring somebody to do the right thing by inviting them to do the right thing, by showing them that something else is actually possible. Inspiration, invitation, they always create more, more lasting change than coercion. Jesus says that you and I can do this. We can create lasting change in the world when we do four things in this passage. Right? When we respond to forced humiliation through chosen humility, when we respond to forced payment with chosen generosity, when we respond to forced labor with chosen service, and when we respond to, to demands that are forceful and really demands for help with compassion, freely chosen compassion. Now, the reason that these matter for people who don't have the power to change things through force is Jesus says, but you still have the power to choose. You have the power to decide. So when somebody tries to take advantage of you, the way you actually flip the script is, you know, a Roman soldier says, hey, I want you to carry my stuff a mile. I can make you do that with the law. And you smile and you say, hey, I wanted to do this anyway. In fact, let me carry it too. 
Now, who has the power in the moment in that conversation? The soldier or the person who says, you can't make me do this. I choose to do this. You can't make me give you the shirt off my back. I want to give you the shirt and my coat. Now, Jesus is not asking for this to be something that we're just pretending to do. He wants us to actually make these choices, trusting not only that it changes how, how power is actually transferred in a relationship, but the only way forward for a world where we don't destroy each other. It's not just psychology. It's the hope of the world. And I think as we think about it, we, we know that Jesus is onto something. Again, it's just that we'd rather some other Christian wrestle with this. That's just not a choice. I, I want you to think about this, okay? Jesus is saying, there's lots of things when it comes to following me that you could focus on. There's, there's lots of different images you could use. But what I want you to imagine is this, that from this moment on, when somebody tries to humiliate you, you are going to willingly choose humility. That when they strike you across the face of your heart, you're going to freely choose to offer them another piece of your heart. Jesus says that I want you to be somebody that, that when somebody demands that you give them what they think they deserve, even if it's unfair, that you will freely decide that no one's going to make you. You will decide to give them even more than they asked for. That if somebody tries to force you to do something that you don't really want to do, that you're not that interested in doing, or you feel like it's beneath you somehow, that you will freely decide, nobody's going to make you, that you will not only do what they ask, but you'll do it for longer than they ask you to do it, that you'll go above and beyond. And that when you find yourself in a situation where Somebody asked you to borrow something and they still have the last thing that you lent them. It's probably a family member. <laughs> that you're not going to stop and check the account and figure out what all they still owe you. You're not going to even stop and ask yourself how lending this thing is going to impact you one way or the other. When they ask for help, your instinct your natural decision is, how can I help you? These are the tools, Jesus says, that we use to create real and lasting change in our world. God doesn't want us to defeat our enemies in his name. He wants us to love our enemies for his sake. And he says it's the only thing that works. And I think we struggle. We feel like we know better. African-American civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, is somebody that knew something about creating real and lasting change in our world. And on November 17, 1957, he preached a sermon on loving our enemies. And in that sermon, he said, you just keep loving people. And you keep loving them, even though they're mistreating you. Here's the person who's a neighbor. And this person's doing something wrong to you. Just keep being friendly to that person. Don't do anything to embarrass them. Just keep loving them, and they can't stand it too long. Oh, 
They react in many ways at the beginning. They, they react with bitterness because they're mad because you love them like that. They react with guilt, and sometimes they'll hate you a little more at that transition period. But just keep loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. There's a power in this kind of love that our world has not discovered yet. Jesus discovered it centuries ago, but most men and women never discover it. They believe in hitting for hitting. They believe in eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. They believe in hating for hating. But then Jesus comes to us and says, this isn't the way. I believe that somewhere in our hearts we know that revenge and getting even and using the threat of force, that, that cannot possibly be the way that leads us to a better life and to a better world. There has to be a different way, not an easier way, but a better way. Corey Tinboom went through one of the darkest chapters in all of human history, and she lived to tell about it. During the Nazi invasion of World War II, Corey and her father, Casper, and her sister, Betsy, made the courageous decision to hide Jews in their home. And every day, they risked their lives to save other people's lives. And for Jews throughout the Netherlands, their home became known by a name, and that name was the hiding place. In a world that had gone insane, their house was one of the few places you could go and be safe. One of Corey's neighbors figured out what they were doing and, and turned them in to the German authorities. And when they got caught, all three of them were thrown into a concentration camp. Corey was 52 years old when she was thrown into that concentration camp with her father and her sister, Betsy. And it didn't take long before they had not only lost everything, their dignity and their freedom, but Corey lost both her father and her sister. Betsy, who had, had always been her best friend, who had always been there for her. It was utterly and totally devastating. And Corey says she got to a place where she didn't want to go on. She didn't want to go on hoping. She didn't want to go on living. But her sister Betsy had said something to her that she held on to. She had said, Corey, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There's, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. And it turns out that the words of her sister Betsy were true. A week before Corey was scheduled to be executed in that concentration camp, she was suddenly and unexpectedly set free because of a clerical error. She survived something she wasn't supposed to survive. And for the rest of her life, she traveled all over the world sharing that story with people, talking about God's goodness in the darkest of places. And she knew that, that every time she spoke and told that story, it wasn't just supposed to be a love that blessed her or a love that she benefited from. She knew that God was using her to love other people, people who maybe had gone through something where they were losing their faith in God or, or even people who had done things that they, they couldn't quite get over. She knew that God's love wasn't just for her, but that God's love was supposed to be shared through her with other people. And yet she, she says that she struggled all the time 
with figuring out how, how to not only think about or feel, but to actively love people who had been a part of, of the Nazi invasion of Europe and, and the people who were directly responsible for her losing everyone who had ever really mattered to her. And that bothered her because she knew she wasn't letting God into that part of her heart, to her life. That she loved a lot of people, but she couldn't figure out how to love them. In her book, The Hiding Place, she talks about the time when she saw a former Nazi soldier at a church service where she was speaking. And not just any soldier, but the first jailer that Corey and her sister Betsy had. This was the man who had who'd stood guard in the shower rooms, a man who had taken their clothes away from them and mocked them and humiliated them. And he didn't recognize her. He came up to Corey at the, at the end of the service as the building was emptying and said with a huge smile on his face, how grateful I am for your message. To think that as you say, God in Christ has washed my sins away. And then he put his hand out for Corey to shake. She tried to smile. She tried to raise her hand. She tried to be warm, but she couldn't do it. She felt nothing good towards this man. Not the, the slightest spark of, of warmth or kindness. And she was convicted in that moment that this this is where her faith and her trust in God's love, not only for herself, but for other people, was going to be tested. And so she said a simple prayer, a silent prayer in her heart. Jesus, I can't forgive him. I just can't. Give me your forgiveness. Let's listen to Corey's words as she tells us how it unfolded next. She says, as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on Christ's forgiveness. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives with the command the love itself. Real change never takes place when we try to force someone to do the right thing. Real change only takes place when we inspire someone to do the right thing. And Jesus says that you and I can partner with him in creating real and lasting change in our world when we respond to forced humiliation with chosen humility and, and forced payment with chosen generosity and, and forced labor with chosen service and forceful demands especially forceful demands for help with chosen compassion. This is what it looks like to, start our, to, to, to love our enemies and to pray for their good. It's not easy. And it's something that you and I think we, we try to find any way around, but it is the only way forward if we're going to stop the cycle of violence and ugliness and conflict in our world. The only way for it to stop is for us to refuse to keep fighting. 
Just over 59 years ago, Martin Luther King Jr. closed his sermon with these words. This morning, as I look into your eyes, I say to you, especially to those of you who regard me as your enemy, I love you. I would rather die than hate you. And I'm foolish enough to believe that through the power of this love, people of the most stubborn bent will one day be transformed. And then, finally then, we will be in God's kingdom together. Brothers and sisters, I know how difficult it is to listen to Jesus' words to us about how to live in a world where we still have enemies. And I know how tempting it is for us to develop all kinds of, of strains of logic and things that sound reasonable and arguments that basically just become legal loopholes where we don't have to actually be the kinds of people that Jesus is directly saying, if we want to follow him, this is who we're going to be. But my prayer is that we will become foolish enough to believe that Jesus knows better than we do. Find somebody that you don't want to love and love them. Find somebody in your life that you don't yet know how to forgive and start the journey of figuring out how to forgive them. If you're not willing to do those things, to try those things, it's time to stop calling yourself a Christian. That makes me so uncomfortable to say. But I believe it's the gospel truth. We don't just believe in God's love for ourselves. We believe in, we trust in God's love for the people we don't yet know how to love. And that's what makes it powerful enough to change everything. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, a few shepherding couples will be waiting to receive people just outside of these double doors. There's a, a place, a quieter place where you can talk and pray and visit. And if you came this morning with any burden on your heart, if you came this morning uh, with, with a blessing, anything that you want to talk with a Christian couple about, they're there to receive you. Please go to them as together we stand and sing.